everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Hopeful Environmentalist, a podcast where we discuss hope in the climate space with amazing guest speakers. It's your host, Taylor Gannis, and today we have an incredible episode discussing environmental justice, how we can create a better and more equitable world, environmental racism, and the fight for justice in the Ivy City community. It is important to note that some of the conversations that we are having in this episode are challenging to discuss, but we should not shy away from them, especially for those of us who are not experiencing these injustices. It is important to listen to communities who are on the front lines of injustice and support their work in ways that they need, while ensuring that their voices are the ones being amplified. If you would like to support the Ivy City community's fight for justice, you can check out the links and the description of this podcast episode. But now I'd love to welcome and introduce our amazing guest speaker. Sabrina Rhodes is a D.C. native, born and raised in the Deanwood area of Washington, D.C. She has her associate's degree in early childhood education and worked for 11 years as a lead Head Start teacher at Rowan Salisbury Community Action Agency in Salisbury, North Carolina. Now back in D.C., Sabrina serves as community organizer with Empower D.C. in the Ivy City community neighborhood a member of the Community Advisory Board for Unity Healthcare, a leader with Friends of Crumel, the Community Coordinator for Empower DC's Ivy City Clubhouse, and the ANC Commissioner for the Ivy City Community. Sabrina is a mom of six and has nine grandchildren who she is very passionate about. Standing up for the rights of overlooked people and her friends and neighbors has always been important to her. She believes that having a voice and being informed will always empower our children. And without further ado, I'd love to welcome our amazing guest speaker, Sabrina. Hi, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about the Ivy City community? Yes, Ivy City this year is 150 years old. One of the oldest African-American communities in the district, it was formed primarily to be a Black community, especially during the times of segregation and redlining. There weren't a lot of places where Blacks could live in a district and all over the country, but Ivy City was a Black community where residents were allowed to purchase a home or rent a home during redlining. That wasn't a possibility for a lot of communities in the district. But here in Ivy City, folks were able to live here in peace and live safely and raise their families. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I know a little bit before the podcast, we talked about some of the injustices that the Ivy City community is facing. And I was wondering if you could discuss those a little bit with us. Our community is facing a lot. Half of half of Ivy City is residential and the other half is industrial. We have a lot of industrial uses that are harming um, harming the residents. Uh, we have a corridor, which is New York Avenue, that's very busy. It's like, I think it's three lanes, a three lane going both ways. We have industrial businesses that are here, that are housed here, like the street cleaning, the trash, the trucks that pick up the trash, they're they're, they park here. So we have like hundreds of city trucks that are housed here in Ivy City. We get a lot of illegal dumping. 
back in the 40s or 50s or so, they wanted to put a dump here in Ivy City across the street from the Cremel School. The Alexander Cremel School was made for, was built for Black children uh, during the times of segregation as well. And um, they wanted to put a dump right there. They also wanted to put a highway in the middle of our community. So we have a lot of illegal dumping. People just think that they can just drop off household items and furniture and tires and sofas and chairs, and they just dump them and leave them. We have a chemical plant that's been here since the 30s, and they're using very, very bad very, very nasty chemicals, formaldehyde, methylene chloride. See, with the chemicals, I'm not a scientist. I'm learning all these technical terms, but a lot of the chemicals are toluene, cresol, and it's about over 20. It's about over 20 compounds that they're using to make an adhesive. We have distilleries that make beer and gin. Uh, they might make whiskey, I'm not sure. And we have a lot of idling. Idling is illegal, up to three minutes the most. But a lot of the government trucks that come through here, they just idle. People that are doing work, they just idle. We have like over 250 school buses that are housed here. And a lot of the employees sit in their cars and they idle until it's time for them to go back to work. And I don't I don't know how to put it in shorter terms is the cumulative impact of industrial uses here in our community is overwhelming. We have a lot of warehouses that are being used for different reasons, a lot of pop-ups. Um, some of them are empty. And uh, they're very expensive so that no one will get them. So they're just sitting abandoned. We have a lot of people that drop off abandoned cars. Let me get back to Cremel. Cremel has been closed over 40 years. Uh, it's been closed since the 70s. The city would not invest in this uh, school. To, we want to turn it into a community center, which we are. And um, it's been sitting abandoned. One of the mayors gave the lease to the site, which is two acres, and it's historic. They gave it to the Union Station Redevelopment Corporation, which Union Station is where all the tour buses are, like the boat, the Greyhound, the mega buses. And they wanted to use our community and that historic site as an overflow for all these buses. So because the organization that I'm, I'm with, Empower DC, fought against these buses being in the community because that, was, that would have been an injustice to the residents here. And, and we won. But Union Station still had to lease for many years. Their lease was just up over the pandemic. And this happened around 2014. They kept the lease and would not give it back to the district because they poured concrete, which they shouldn't have because they lost the case. And so this whole two-acre site with the school included has been fenced off from the community. So we're just now, uh, it's been two years. We've been able to get back. We've been able to get on half the site 
The other half is off limits because the school sits on the other half of the site. And we have basketball courts and playground for the community to be able to enjoy. Well, your community sounds so resilient. And I, yes, it's, it's so, I don't even know the words to use. Like frustrating isn't even the word. Um, how your community has to continue to be resilient yeah. when it yeah. should just be able to thrive. Yeah. Um, yes. It's join the club. Join the <laughs> We, we, uh, the fight. It's a very big fight that we have with this chemical plant. That's This chemical plant is one of the biggest issues on top of the other issues, which is the, the city, the district. They are responsible for district agencies that are housed here. But the chemical plant is a private owner, which we have to collaborate with the attorney general and Department of Energy and Environment and EPA. They do not have an air permit, and they have been poisoning our community for almost 100 years with these chemicals. They only have a certificate of occupancy. They were here before those all those zoning laws, Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, Environmental Protection Act. They were here before all of these acts and laws were put in place, but the district never had them under supervision because, oh, maybe a couple years ago when we brought this to their attention, they said they didn't know about it. So this chemical facility, the only one in the country that makes this adhesive for the military is allowed to operate and have been operating without it. Up any any kind of permits to use the type of chemicals that they use. That's disgusting. That's disgusting and it's malice and um, neglect in the city. We have a home that was built by the city through a first-time home buyers program and they share a wall with the chemical plant. And again, we keep hearing we did not know this was here. So they've been hiding in plain sight. They've been hiding operating, I'm not going to say hiding, if the building is very small, but the district, we keep hearing they did not know about it. And that's unacceptable. So we are smelling this chemical called Cresol that smells like burning tar. Sometimes it smells like ammonia. Sometimes it smells like urine. And the odor is so strong that it is nauseating when you go near the building. So a lot of folks that come in the area want to know what that smell is. And I have to let them know it's the chemicals that's coming out of the chemical plant. Some of the chemicals that are being used are odorless and colorless, but they use these compounds to make this adhesive for the Navy's tanks and submarines and jets, which has, have to withstand the highest of temperatures, I think 1500 degrees Fahrenheit for the heat. And I'm not sure about the cold, but it can withstand the coldest of the coldest temperatures. And yeah, they are producing it here in Navi City. That's awful. And we see that a little bit in the documentary that um, you're in, which was so amazing. It brought a lot of emotions and you did a fantastic job. 
um, for anyone interested in listening, it's People Rising, Ivy City, Washington, D.C., and I will link it in the description. So please go watch that and uplift that and share that with your friends and family to see, I forget her name, but the woman in it who was describing her wall being right next to you. That's that's the house the, the district built. And they sh- actually share a wall. And as she described in the video, the smells are coming into her home. She wasn't aware until we told her that this was a chemical plant. So it this is, I, I can't find the words, but it's, it's, it's horrible. And it's, it's neglect on the district's part. We're the nation's capital. And we have all of the headquarters of all of the industries around the country, including the EPA. The headquarters is here. And they they didn't know about it. This shouldn't happen in the District of Columbia. This shouldn't happen in the nation's capital. We should be an example and we should have high standards of how the communities in the district are being treated. And that's not that's not the case. It's horrendous. And we see these these chemical plants happening in historically black and brown communities. It's, it's absolutely disgusting and it, we aren't seeing anything change. And so can you describe a little bit about what environmental racism is and how traditionally and historically black and brown communities are facing these environmental racist zoning laws and all of that? Like you said before, they are putting all these industries in black and brown historic communities one is cheap land. Two, a lot of the industries were placed in our communities because of capitalism and for profit. And so residents are being sacrificed in the name of capitalism. And that shouldn't happen. Uh, even on tribal lands, we all are getting sacrificed for the sake of an industry to be able to create something for people to use. And like a lot of things that that these industries are creating, we use them. We use them on a daily basis. Like formaldehyde is being used in a lot of our everyday items like furniture. And I can't even think of it right now, but I know formaldehyde is being used in a lot of stuff. Methylene chloride is being used in a lot of things. Again, I'm not a scientist. I just, I just, you know, upon research, I'm just noticing a pattern of how these elected officials and urban planners are selling our communities out, are selling the residents out. And a lot of times, we have no choice but to live in communities where we can afford. And so what they what they do is put these industries in communities where only people can afford because they know that, like I said in the film, we're not going to say anything about it. We just want to live in peace. We just want to be healthy. We just want to raise our families. That's the chances that we take to be able to live in areas and in communities that are affordable. You know, I don't know how what kind of way to put it without crying, you know, because I'm one of them. I had a large family. I needed to be able to be in a community where I can raise my family and live in peace. But as we can see, these industries don't care nothing about us. 
They don't care nothing about black and brown people. They don't care about indigenous people. They don't care about families. You know, some neighborhoods don't, they have green space. We don't have green space. We're fighting for green space. We're fighting for clean air. We're fighting for clean soil so that we can plant our own food, so we can plant gardens and so they can grow and be healthy. We can't do that. We can't do that because the system is is jacked up. The system is racist. And we have to we have to break the system. We have to crush the racist system that's harming us. And the only way we can do it is if we stand together. We can yell and scream that these systems and that have been put in place are racist, but we're always being told and not and I, when I say we, I mean black and brown communities, black and brown people, we're always being told that we're complaining. And but they keep doing it. Here it is, we're in 2023, and they keep doing it. It keeps happening. We are frontline communities that are fighting for our lives against the establishment, against elected officials, against corporations. And, you know, pretty much they're just, they just kick us down the road and keep doing what they're doing. And people shouldn't have to move, like you were saying before, you shouldn't have to move or decide whether they're going to live here and move their whole lives because of injustices that other communities aren't facing, like specifically white and wealthier communities. That's yes, Yes. uh, As everyone know, um, and a lot of people might see it on TV, that D.C. is beautiful. D.C. is beautiful. Washington, D.C. is a very beautiful place. You only see certain parts, like where the Smithsonian's are, where the White House is, where the Capitol is, where the monuments, where the mall is, um, Pennsylvania Avenue. But there are pockets of communities that are struggling, that are being harmed. And that's not being, that's not a focus of some of the photos and videos that a lot of people see on TV and on YouTube. And, and, And to me, it seems like we're, um, being swept under the rug. Abbey City is a historic community. We've been here for 150 years, and we're going to be here for another 150 years. We shouldn't be ignored, neglected, or swept under the rug. The district should should invest in our community, and not so that it benefit developers or corporations or uh, polluting industries. We want the district and all over, all over the country. We want investments to be for people and not for profit and not for harm. And that's why I think your documentary that you're in is so powerful because for people watching, it shows them that things that they might be ignorant to or that they might have not learned in school, it shows them what black and brown communities are facing not just in the Ivy City community, but all over the country. And children aren't being out educated about these things in schools and it's done purposely. So yeah, it's done purposely. Um, a lot of uh, residents here, since we've been doing a campaign to shut NEP down, a lot of the youth has been getting educated. A lot of the residents have been getting educated. A lot of the new residents that are moving in they don't even, they're not even aware. Even the developers who are flipping the our homes, 
We have single family homes that are being made into condos and the prices is, I can't even explain it. You know, a small family home that's been here for 60, 70 years has been demolished and made into a condo that's $1.5 million. And then they decide to make them tall. We're fighting against the density. We don't want our buildings to stand so high where it's blocking the sun, blocking the skyline. We don't want people on their rooftop patios or penthouses looking down over top of our homes and in our windows. I know we had a resident in another community was upset because a developer was building a, a condo that was like three stories high. And first of all, the construction, some of the dust is toxic. They're not putting things in place to prevent dust from entering our homes, entering our windows, covering our cars, like the dust cover the cars like pollen. And she said she couldn't sit on the porch anymore. The dust was coming in her home. She's an elderly woman. The dust coming in her windows when they're closed. Uh, there's a film of dust on her windows. And she can't get any sun anymore because of the height of the buildings. So we're also fighting developers to not build so high in our communities, especially community like Ivy City, because there's a skyline. If you block the sun, then it's going to be dark. We already don't have any green space. And we have a lot of folks that, that want a garden, regardless of the fact that the air isn't clean, the air is toxic, but they still garden. That's the part of that lifestyle. And putting a green space and making that an amenity on top of a condo is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And that's, that's what we're fighting against as well. It's, it seems like, I mean, it seems, it is that the Ivy City community is facing all of these injustices all at once and trying to continue that resilience. And again, like we said before, you shouldn't have to continue to be resilient. You should be able to experience what wealthier and white communities are experiencing. It's because, you know, you can come into the community and it's a very tight knit community. A lot of people that's been here, um, such as Brenda, that's in, in the film, um, they've been here since the 60s. We have people that's been here, lived their lives 40, 50, 60 years. Uh, we have people that passed away from cancer that's been lived here a long time. Not even sure if the chemical plant is the reason why they had cancer. Um, but we do know that a lot of illness that's in our community is environmental. And I also just want to say, too, I know you keep saying, you know, you're not a scientist, but you don't need to be a scientist to be an expert in this because you know your community better than anyone from who is not within the community. So I want you to know that like you are so intelligent, so powerful, and you don't need a degree or science accolades to tell you that. Sometimes you do because they will sometimes when we get the data is in scientific form. We do have a scientist from Trinity College 
here in War 5. She's been working with the community since 2014, testing out air, helping us understand um, the metrics, helping us understand what's healthy, what's not healthy. I can text her. I can email her. Her name is Shizuka. I, we call her Zooks. She's a professor at Trinity College of, um, I think it's, um, it's a science. She's a science professor and she knows all of the tech technical terms that these agencies, when they do a public meeting and give us the data, they don't do it in plain terms. So she will come to the meeting, make sure that she's listening, make sure she's taking notes, and then she will get back to us about what they were really saying, which is very helpful. So yeah, I'm, I, I, I say that a lot because you need to be a scientist to go up against these the 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 scientists that are doing the testing the scientists you know we have scientists in our agencies EPA and the DOEE which is Department of Energy and Environment and they understand these terms and then they were use it in our public meetings and and talk about it in the meetings to the community as if we understand what they're talking about so sometimes I'll do research first <laughs> so, so I can hit them with a bunch of questions. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but that's that has been always something that bothers me is when I enter spaces that I know don't need these technical terms. Because yeah. um, if they really wanted people to understand um, what was happening, they wouldn't be, I, I don't know any of the technical terms. And I got an environmental science degree and if someone started using crazy chemical names to me I'd be like yeah. what yeah. <laughs> like they, they it's it's very purposeful and that makes me even like it's just frustrating why and same with academics you know you I speak to academics and they're speaking and I'm looking at them like they have 10 heads because I don't yeah. know what's what they're saying <laughs> and it's like say excessively terms please yeah. say it in a language that we can understand because mm -hmm. so when Department of Energy and Environment gave us some data and they had sent us the results that the outside contractor that they hired to do the air quality testing, they sent us the results before the public meeting. So I dissected all of, all of the results because and, and kind of anticipated on what they were going to say and and the things that they were going to try to pull and I hit them with it like no we're not going to go with a scientific like like for instance OSHA has OSHA been there to in at this chemical plant to do any um inspections no they have all these um, scientific, I, I'm not sure what you call them, but they are acronyms. And I had to research the acronyms of the, the, these organizations that they, that have different metrics that they go by. And they will go with the lowest metric because that will, then that will say, oh, well, 
according to this organization, you're not being <laughs> you're not being poisoned. But no, that that's not the EPA. The EPA is over top of all of these organizations. What are, what are the metrics? What are, what are, what is the data that EPA will use to say our our air quality is being poisoned? Our air quality is the worst, which it is. We also we suffer from an urban heat island as well because we have no green space. So if you was to go and look on a heat a heat map and you see red, that would be Ivy City. And they try to you know hit us with, oh well, well the data that we receive isn't at the threshold of this organization because their levels are lower. And then you have different organizations that have di that uses different levels of matrix metrics and they will use the lowest one. No, 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 we cannot do that. We should not do that. And who are these people anyway? All we know is the EPA, which is a federal agency that is supposed to protect the people. So, supposed to make sure that our air, our water, and our soil is clean. They are the only ones whose metrics um, involve in this process that we should be using. And they know that whatever data they get is going the the uh, how can I put it? Say for instance, if they do a, a testing of the air, and the results are like 93. I'm just using this as an example. And the results are 93. And that could be high. The normal is could be 75. And they read 93. So then they would go and search another agency whose metrics is 72 and say, oh, you're normal according to this organization. But if you look at the environmental, there's an environmental tool called a environmental justice racial equity tool. You can go on there. It's on it. You can go on the ECHO website, which is under EPA. Every reading, every metric that has been researched in our community is at high levels, meaning that it's almost like a, a Superfund site or a brownfield. So once we win to make this chemical plant shut down, and we will win, and they will leave, we do not want them to be placed in another community. We do not want them to poison another community. You understand? Right now, DOEE is mitigating their air their ventilation system which they should have been doing that in the 30s or they should have been doing that in the 80s whenever they came into existence. they That was the first thing they should have did. Oh, this place is using chemicals. We need to make sure that their ventilation system is not poisoning the community that they're in. That never happened. And now they're doing it here in 2023, which should have been done. We don't want them to mitigate anything. We don't want them to fix it. We want them to close it and get rid of it. Yeah, so, you know, as we talked about some of the obstacles that the coalitions that you're a part of and the grassroots organizing that you're doing um, is facing, so what what are the all the obstacles your coalition has faced while trying to get these answers regarding the chemical plants operations in these residential communities? 
there are many obstacles. First, getting the district to claim responsibility for this plate for for the conditions of our community. That's that's a big obstacle because everybody is passing a buck. We are not a state, so we're not we're not bound or we're we don't have the support like uh, like states do. Well, we don't have local support. The only federal support we have is the EPA and Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. And we had a couple of meetings with her. She's not allowed to get involved in with state agencies such as Department of Energy and Environment because it's it's our city agency, but we're not a state. She can only get involved with the federal agency, which is EPA. Attorney General, he's aware. Just recently, he sued a lot of chemical companies for the PFAS that's in our water, the the chemicals that has been dumped in our water, such as from 3M, the 3M company, and a whole lot of other chemical facilities that, that are not located in the district, but have been dumping chemicals in the water, which caused our Anacostia River to be toxic. It's been toxic for years and they have been cleaning it up for years. I don't think you can put a finger, put one finger in the water. That's how toxic it was. And just accountability and support. That's the two major things that, that that we're having issues with because this is a big oops. Everyone dropped the ball. Not only about the dynamics of our community and the neglect that we have faced for decades, but this chemical plant being being in our community and, and they're not knowing about it or owning up to the fact that they allowed it to be here. And, and are continuing to allow it to be here. And as, as we look to the future in um, the fight for injustice and for justice in many different areas of the world and communities um, such as Ivy City, how mm-hmm. do we move forward with ensuring no community is left behind to face these injustices? First, organize. The power is in numbers. A lot of our communities need help. We need help. We need everybody to unite and stand with our communities, not just Ivy City, but all Black and Brown communities in the country. Stand with Africa, stand with India, stand with a lot of countries that are dealing with, I get lost for words. They are they're abusing us. They are abusing us. And a lot of times people don't see it unless it affects them and people don't bother to get involved unless it affects them directly. Get involved in your communities. Look at your urban planning. Look at the maps. Look at what happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and what changed. Look at the planning that's going to happen 10 years from now or 20 years from now. Check the industries that's that's in your in your state, in your city, in your community. Check their records. A lot of their records are public. And if they're not, you can do a FOIA request. Find out if they're running, operating with expired permits or any permits at all. And demand that the city fix it. 
demand that they stop operation until they get a permit. And then if you don't want them there, protest, protest and demand that they be removed and, and, and sent somewhere else. But organize, check the businesses in your community, check the industries that's in your community, check and see if every everything is operating as it should. Make sure these industries have the proper permits. And if they are expired, and uh, which we, we're finding out through our, our campaigns and fights, that a lot of these major industries have expired permits and they're getting extensions. Find out why. Why are they getting an extension? Why should they be allowed to get an extension? And then see if whoever you're organizing with, see if you can uh, uh, block that because this chemical plant here, they operated eight months without a business license. Their business license had expired and I brought that to the district's attention and there was nothing done. And then, oh, poof, all of a sudden their business license was renewed. So a lot of these shenanigans that's happening in our in our cities and our communities, counties, states, and countries, you know, extracting resources from different countries in Africa so that everything can be uh electric and, and the people there are working for pennies to help these corporations get these resources. The electric vehicle, EV that's going they're being aggressive with it, but then you gotta you gotta look at where are these resources coming from. What are the conditions that the workers are are working under in order to extract these resources? And is it okay with the people in these countries where they're just overtaking the countries just to get these resources and then leaving them for dead? And this and it's happening everywhere, all over the world, and and we just want everybody to be vigilant. Um, pay attention. You know, we want to, we want to, you know, I, I say this all the time. You can't be a vegan or, you know, watch what goes into your baby's mouth, your children's mouth, your grandparents' mouths and into their stomachs when it's poisonous. You, you can say, oh, I don't eat processed food, but you we have gardens that are being poisoned by toxic air and it's still going into our bodies. We have unborn children that are being, the fetus is being attacked. So children are being attacked before they're even born by chemicals in the air, toxins in the air, pollution in the air. And, you know, that's all I ask. Every, you know, in order for us to be green and sustainable, and live in in a healthy environment, we have to fight for it. They're not going to give it to us. They're just putting a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, and, and as we look at what people call like the green revolution, if everyone isn't coming together, then it's not a revolution. It's just helping certain people, and that's not a revolution. Um, yes. And I, like you discussed, I saw some of the pictures of in the background, you see it was like a video and you see in the front, you see a community and they're collecting water from this dirty water source. And then behind them is a railroad going by a, a train going by on a railroad track with all these electric vehicles getting shipped yeah. off to yeah. probably 
the United States and wealthier communities, those aren't helping the local communities at all. It's not benefiting the communities. It's probably benefiting some rich person and then going to other rich people, you know, it's, it never makes it back to the communities it's impacting. And I think that's can be said the same for the Ivy city community is the, the money getting made from the chemical plants and all these things aren't even, they're impacting your community negatively. And then they're not even benefiting. You're not benefiting from any of the resources that are, made from from these chemicals and yeah, yeah. It's- and we do have a train track <laughs> right it it is it, parallel to new york avenue that i talked about earlier with the three lane three lanes going out one way and three lanes going the other way that's the corridor that's one of the corridors into the city not into Ivy City, but into the district from uh, if you're coming in from out of town. And the Amtrak trains and the CSX trains run parallel to this congested corridor. So not only are we getting emissions from the corridor, from the, the vehicle emissions, but we're getting emissions from the diesel trains. Mind you, they are working on electric trains but it doesn't help any if once they once they come from the south they turn off the electric and it's it turns into diesel and then csx the cxx train which goes across the country is diesel so it's not doing us any good by having amtrak to be electric when we still are being suffering from the diesel fumes from the CSX train. No barriers, no barriers. So how can people listening or who are outside of the Ivy City community, how can we support and uplift your work and support the community? Well, at at the end of the film, there's a website that you can go on. You can uh, go on that website and join a campaign sign a petition. You can go on empowerdc.org's website and look at the campaign and you can sign up there. And also, you can also add my information, my contact information um, here on the podcast and you can contact me at ivycity at empowerdc.org Sabrina, S-E-B-R-E-N-A Rhodes, R-H-O-D is in dog, E-S is in Sam. You can contact me and I can make sure that you are added to the added to the petition and we know that you're supporting us. Thank you for providing your contact information too. I feel like that would be very helpful for some people. And for anyone listening, I also will link the website and link the documentary and the uh, Sabrina's information below in the description so you can easily find it and support. Yes, please. Um, and so lastly, the last thing I have for you is what brings you hope in this fight for justice? That we're going to win. Our organization is powerful. The power of our our voices and the power, the strength that we have to want to make sure that our families are being taken care of, that our neighbors are being taken care of, 
we have hope that we're going to win this fight, not only in Ivy City, but everywhere. Because um, now this is the time to put everybody on blast. And you might not understand what I'm saying. Like, bring this to the attention of our elected officials and then take it a step further and keep going further up the chain. We have went as far as to the White House. We have not gone to the White House, but a representative from the Environmental environmental Justice Board of the White House, and I might not be saying it right, but because it, it was a surprise that she was there, but she came and I gave her information about the chemical plant. So they are aware. So make sure it gets to our president and vice president and, you know, environmental justice organizations who are doing more than having meetings. Let's let's use our voices. It's power in our voices, power in numbers. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and educating us about this. (laughs) Yes. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up? I I just, Taylor, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me on. I just hope that my voice has, will reach a lot of people. So everybody will be vigilant in their own communities and and protect their families. Protect your family. Protect your, your, your health. We're fighting for our lives and we're fighting for our health tooth and nail every day every day and it and it can't stop until until they are stopped thank you thank you so much for sharing everything with us and your knowledge and wisdom in this so thank you so yeah. much thank you for having me thank you so much for listening to another episode of the hopeful environmentalist please do check out the resources in the description of this podcast they are We have a lot of resources in there. We have the EJ screen, what a Freedom of Information Act request is that Sabrina did talk about in the episode, aka a FOIA, Um, contact information, a link to watch the film, and so much more. So I implore you to go check that out and support them and the Ivy City community however you can. As always, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Hopeful Environmentalist, and always remember to stay hopeful and create positive change.